0: Well, as we turn back to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and just our study on the church and what church membership looks like, uh, definitely understanding the leadership of the church is an absolute uh, essential aspect to that. As usual and the way we, we always do and the way you would imagine the church would do it, but unfortunately doesn't, we should go to the scriptures. We should go to the Bible to see, well, what is the biblical standard for leadership? Not the world standard. Uh, what, is, what is God's standard? What does God say about what biblical leadership looks like? And unfortunately, so many churches have clouded their understanding with, well, what does the world think about leadership? Well, quite frankly, we don't care what the world thinks about leadership, the world is wrong. The world is misguided. Then the world is led by their father, Satan. And so we have to be very, very careful how we look at leadership. And the best and easiest way is to just seek the scriptures. The 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 scriptures are not silent when it comes to to Christian leadership. They're not silent when it comes to what the biblical standard for leadership is. I was reminded this week that you know God's ways are not our ways. Uh, another way of saying that is our ways are not God's ways, which means our ways are not right. Usually our ways are distorted. Our ways are misguided. Our, our ways are very human and, and at the core of humanity is, is deception and at the core of humanity is sinfulness and pride and arrogance and self-centeredness and we have to be guarded with that. We, we have to be cautious with ourselves um, because man's ways are, are off and that's being nice saying it nicely. We have a political structure of what leadership looks like. Uh, We have different degrees of political leadership. We, we have judges, we have, you know, congressmen, we have senators, representatives, mayors, presidents, you know, judges. We have a lot of different layers of the political structure of leadership. Uh, is that our structure? Is that the biblical structure of leadership? No, not at all. Um, but but embedded in us, in 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 an idea of what's right and just, we definitely bring in our kind of our political structure in, into the fray. Uh, what about a corporate structure? Maybe you know you're in at work or business, and and you just kind of think about well, this is how. Leadership works you know in the world right in in the corporate world and and, and so this is how you you know work up the chain of leadership um, and so there's definitely you know thousands of books that have been written about corporate leadership and um, you know climbing the corporate ladder uh, do we want to have you know pastors that are that are at their pulpit and really it's just a, a, a part of Climbing a corporate ladder pastorally? Because we, we definitely do see that within the, the Christian church. Is that what good leadership looks like? Uh, what about other religions? <clears throat> we definitely see the, the structures of how other religions or maybe some mainstream denominations, how, how they kind of uh, organize their leadership and um, their, you know their Presbyterian. We'll kind of talk about that. Well, as I mentioned before, we, we have problems in the church. The problems in the church, again, begin with, with sin. But we have a problem with, uh, we're, we're very personality and, and talent driven. We love dynamic personalities. We love uh, very talented people. And, and there's nothing wrong with being charismatic and dynamic and, and talented. That, that, that's great. The problem is those things don't trump other things. So for instance, you know, if you're in the construction site and you know, you had a really dynamic, well-spoken, you know, charismatic leader, but the guy doesn't know how to operate the forklift, I would prefer skill, right? We we would like to see some skill behind that leadership. Uh, We want to see some, some real talent. We want to see character. We want to see character behind leadership. That, that's the biblical um, foundation for leadership, is, is character, not personality, not charisma. More often than not, today when you talk to people and you know, they're looking for a church or they like their church, you know, they'll say things and it's very well-intentioned. Oh, you know I, I love my, my pastor, he, he tells the best stories. He's very dynamic, he's exciting, it's like that's that's nice and from a, a a speaking standpoint that that's that's great. But from a biblical standpoint, that's not the standard by which uh, you choose your pastor um, that says nothing about his character. The reason why is the second problem that we face is is we're trusting in men. we're trusting in these people you 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 come here every Sunday morning, and you're trusting that I'm telling you the truth. Well, where's my truth coming from? Do you, do you want it coming from me and the sacred, you know, the wisdom of Tony as he sits by the river and contemplates the <laughs> deepest depths of life? No, you, you don't want that. Trust me. Um, you, you, you want a guy who's going to then go to God's Word and draw from God's Word and teach you God's Word. That, that's what you want. So you're really trusting God's word. You're trusting that this guy is teaching you God's word, especially in the areas of God's word where maybe it's a little confusing or uh, just not clear. But, but we trust way too much in men. We put way too much confidence in men and especially because they're charismatic, dynamic, and you know sometimes good looking even third problem is the, the Bible tells us over and over and over again about the warning of being deceived about the warning of false teachers about the warning. I mean, we know that there's, this is all coming to a, to an end where there's an antichrist. There's a fake Jesus. There's a fake prophet. There, there's a fake religion, right? And then we act surprised when there's people who are fake and deceptive, and false. We, we've been warned about that. That means that you guys need to be on high alert. The, the person that's up here speaking is not to just be blindly trusted. Be like the Bereans. Go home, test to see if it is so. And if you see something, go, um, Tony, we need to talk. You said this last week, and according to... Proverbs 1.7, that's what the Scriptures tell us. Um, so our authority is is in the Scriptures. Again, not in men. So we, we shouldn't be deceived by man because we're warned about it. It should be like a red blinking light that's in front of your eyes at all times. Warning, warning, warning. Be on alert. That's okay. That's perfectly fine and reasonable. Um, <clears throat> because of that. And kind of the fourth problem is we know there's bad examples. Uh, You know, we have TV and the internet and uh, when a pastor falls or fails, we know, we know right away. We know when the, you know, the quote, unquote, the big hitters, right? The big, famous, popular, and they, you know, commit adultery or they, you know, are, are found to be, you know, deceptive with money and thieves and that kind of a thing. We have tons of examples of that now. Um, And as I was recently reminded, uh, it it breaks people's confidence, breaks their hearts, their trust because people are putting all this hope and confidence in, in this leader. And then for him to stand in front of you and, and ultimately deceive you, then you feel not only foolish, uh, but then that foolishness turns into heartbreak and tears. And then that that heartbreak and tears turns into anger, right? And unfortunately, and way too many times, that anger against that sinful man and person turns to an anger against God. It's, it's a horrible cycle. It's a horrible cycle. Um, we've been conditioned by the world to not trust leadership. I mean, just take a look at what's happened in the last two years. How many times have we been just bold faced lied to? Do we even know where to begin anymore? You you want the facts, you know, if you look on your phone and you look at a, um, an Instagram thing and you know, there'll be a CDC warning, right? And it's like the CDC lies. Constantly and deceives and is deceptive and so they're supposed to be the they're supposed to be the place for truth They're supposed to be where the leadership is telling us what's true and right. Well, when that falls apart, then what do we have? Well put that into leadership in the church. Well, then you don't have confidence in the church and that's where we're at today. There's not a lot of confidence in the church. And the reason why is first and foremost we're we're not putting our our allegiance and our faith in the Word. So we're we're winging it over here. We're we're using marketing techniques. We're using human techniques to say, well, this is how we draw a crowd. Uh, this is what looks good today. This is what this is what they're doing. The kids are doing in America, right? Um, but again, that's not biblical. The Bible is global. So one of the things that I try to remind myself often is the Bible is is global and the and the Bible is eternal. That means all the way back in the beginning in the garden to today with electric cars, the Bible's true and consistent. So it shouldn't change. What leadership looks like shouldn't change whether you're in India, Africa or America. It's the same. But it's not, is it? It's very cultural. We see that church leadership changes from country to country. Why? Because people are putting more confidence in their local way than in what the Bible just plainly says. When you see churches follow the scriptures in any part of the world, whatever language that they speak, you will see consistency. It's remarkable and amazing. One of the most amazing things that that I've been able to see and witness was uh, the church in in Russia, the church in Ukraine. So for years, you know, I grew up in the eighties and you know, the Soviet union was, you know, the, the enemy, you know, our favorite movies, you know, Rocky would fight the Soviets. You know, it was great. You know, we had an enemy, the Soviet Union, communism. Well, there was something happening in Russia, in these different places, Ukraine, in the underground. There were Christians there that lived there. Real Christians, genuine Christians under the oppression of communism. Well, here we are in America thinking, well, we're Christians, right? We're the real Christians. Be under persecution. You know, be in a place where by being baptized, you know, you may be putting your life on the line. Where if you're caught with a Bible, you can be imprisoned for life. And tell those people they're not real Christians. Well, what happened was is the walls came down and Soviet Union kind of collapsed for a while there. Where we're from, a lot of those, those men started coming to, to our church and our seminary for more training. You know what we found out? We need to learn lessons from those guys. They were godly men who upheld the Scriptures. They were godly men, men with character. They they were godly men who were obedient to Christ and were serious about the things of the Lord. While we were getting caught up in all kinds of different weird tangents and theological fights, they were just following the Bible. That's all they had. They didn't have library upon libraries of different books. They just had the book. And so if you have the book and you stick to the book, then it will outline how we shall then live. And when we're looking at studying what the church is and what church membership looks like and what church leadership looks like, we have the blueprint right here. doesn't change. doesn't change just because the political scene of of your cultures change. So today we're going to evaluate uh, overseers in the church. We're going to look at two types of overseers, um, two types of leaders, elders and deacons. Uh, church leaders are qualified elders. Church leaders are qualified deacons. Those are the, the two things we want to look at. And, and again, I want to remind you, while we see more details and a little bit more structure in the New Testament... Uh, God has always appointed male leadership throughout the history of mankind. Uh, and I'll get into that a little bit more, but just remember the man of God. There was no official title. There was no, you know, um, you know, given role. just the man of God, the Abraham, the Moses, the Joshua, the Daniels, you know, just just men of God. Um Those were male leaders that we saw in the Old Testament. We saw the prophets, right? There were men of God that were prophets that revealed God's word. We saw the priesthood. There were priests, men who served in God's temple. Um, We saw kings, uh, and I'm reminded that the the kings, one of their uh, tasks and duties and training to be a king was what? To read the word to read and study the Old Testament. Could you imagine? You became king and it's like, you know, okay, here's your first job, Mr. President. You have to read this book. You have to know this book. And after you read it, then it's gonna be read to you every night. Um, That was part of what would happen with kings. We had judges. We had judges in the Old Testament. Um, They would judge God's people and use scripture as their rule, as their guideline. And then in the New Testament, we see eldership, this word elder. And we'll look at that today. Um, we also understand there's shepherding that's involved. But it's, and, and, and before we get into details, I, I just want to make this clear. It's never been about sinless perfection in these men. One of the things that is so encouraging And and I I don't mean this in a bad way, but when we read about the men of God, the prophets, the priests, the kings, the judges, these are not sinless men. These are very, very flawed men. If if these men stood in front of you today, I think we would reject them. David, you killed people. David, you committed adultery. If if David was standing here, you, you couldn't get past that. You'd just be seeing, like, what? You're, you're Bathsheba. you Bathsheba. You couldn't get moved by, by that. You, you, you would be sitting here looking at some of these guys and going, wait, you had how many wives? What? That, that, that doesn't, doesn't make sense. That doesn't register to me. These, these are flawed, sinful men. But, but they're, they're men that God was still able to use. If you really study them, When you see a passage like David was a man after God's own heart and you think, how can that be Study David? And you will see some things about David that are absolutely remarkable about his character and about how he repents and is able to be restored through his sin. He doesn't stay in his sin. He he confesses, he repents and he's redeemed, right? Well, that's encouraging for us, but it's it's not about perfection. Uh, elders are not perfect. Pastors are not perfect, but that is the standard. Now, that's my goal, my stand. When we read these uh, qualifications, that's what I fight for every single day to uphold these uh, to the ultimate extent, never making an excuse, never just blowing one off at, like I'm at the buffet line. Line and say, I don't like that one. I don't do onions. Not me, right? I'm going to continue to be pugnacious. No, no, no. You don't get to do that. <clears throat> so, the first uh, qualification we want to look at is church leaders are qualified elders. Um, back to the book, 1 Timothy 3, verse 1. It is a trustworthy statement. This is something that you can rely on. This is something you can trust. Boy, how powerful is that today? In a day and in an age where you can't trust anything, can't trust anything. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, first of all, there's nothing wrong with aspiring to want to be a leader in the church. There's nothing wrong with that. Some people think that no, no, no. You, you, you shouldn't aspire. That's a a sign of arrogance. Um, No, that's not, it's okay to aspire to this office. You don't have to just sit and wait for somebody to, to ask you or to call you. It's okay to aspire to this office. It's an office. It's, it's, it's a role. Okay. Of overseer. It is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer, then, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, uncontentious, free from the love of money, He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, lest he become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he may not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Well, let's take a look at at this a little closer. The office of of overseer. Uh, The Greek word for that is episkopos. Does that sound familiar? Episcopalian. These are just terms and words. Oh, yeah, wait a minute. I kind of understand that. I've, I've heard that before. What it means is superintendent. Uh, elder or, or presbyter. Uh, Presbyterius means, has the idea of being older. An older overseer or elder. Um, and so the office is a, an office of, of headship. And we'll see the difference between a deacon and, and an elder. But this overseer is is the superintendent. Again, just... Think about how the structure of organizations work. Uh, I think of a school district. Uh, The superintendent is not the king of the school district. He's not the only one who evaluates curriculum and the scope and sequence and and the teaching um, philosophies and structure. He's got a whole team of people. He's got administrators. He's got principals. He's got counselors. He's got teachers. He's got aides, right? The superintendent, the elder, is not the only leader in the church. Okay? Um, I think sometimes we, we get fixated on that mindset. When we look at Titus, Titus also... Um, turn with me to Titus chapter 1. Titus gives us... The, the layout of eldership too Titus one verse five. For this reason, I left you in Crete that you might set in order what remains and appoint elders. So when Paul's leaving Crete, <coughs> he leaves leadership to the church. The church isn't just left as just a bunch of people who get together, that there's leadership that's at the church and he appoints elders in every city, as I directed, so everywhere Paul went and planted a church, he also planted leadership. Well, who are these guys? Namely, if any man be above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of uh, dis- dissipation or rebellion. For the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward. God's steward. That that's you're 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 a slave. For God. You're not the owner. You're not the master. I'm not the owner of this church. I'm not the master of this church. I'm a steward. I'm a servant. I'm a servant leader under God. Uh, must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, But hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, that he may be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. So we see that this is what the the superintendent or the elder does. Again, he upholds scriptures. He upholds the word of God. He brings that forth and forward. Um. he's not self-willed this is not my business this is this is not under my ownership it's not Tony's will it's God's will be done so in order for God's will to be done I need to know what God's will is and so do you keep each other accountable to see what God has for us um, again it's a noble desire for to seek this position. Now, one of the things that we we need to touch base on, and it's it's a bigger and bigger issue almost every day, is this this male and female differences in role. And we'll get more into it, especially next week when we uh, after we go through the the role of men, and then next week when we put together the women. But just generally speaking. Is there, is there any confusion here? Uh, we talk a lot now today about knowing your pronouns, right? In fact, I was getting a Starbucks the other day and, and Jan, you know, had, you know, here's Jan, you know, her name and you know, this blonde little girl. And, you know, I don't know, she's probably 16 years old and on the other side was her tag, you know, she, her, it's like, am I confused here? It's like, so is that the way it's going to be, you know? Well, pronouns do matter. <laughs> okay. And, and God is very clear with his pronouns and we have male and female. We have two. We, we have man and woman. It's very, very clear in the scripture. If you're not sure, turn to page one. God makes it very, very clear right away. Well, when we ask the question, well, what about women in leadership? What about women elders? What about women as, 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 as preachers and pastors? You're not going to see that in the Bible. The Bible is a big book. There's a lot of pages. There's a lot of, of conversations and leadership and roles. You will not see biblically the role of female leadership as teachers in the scriptures. It's not there. I, I was reading off for you the man of God, the prophets, the priest, the king, the, you're right? No no women. This, God is very, very consistent. Then we get into the New Testament. Here's the outline of, of the leadership in the church. Tell me if, if there's confusion. It is a trustworthy statement that any man aspires to the office of an overseer. Uh, it's a fine work that he desires to do. Uh, he's the husband of one wife. Is is there any confusion that we're talking about a male figure here, a man, not not, not a a wife of one husband, a husband of one wife? It, it shouldn't be unclear the all the pronouns that we see in here. So one of the things in the Greek language, and when we parse and 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 go to the grammar and, and, and look at this in the original language is we see that the, the, the parts of speech are masculine pronouns, masculine, singular, masculine, plural. They're masculine. There's, there should be no debate at all what God's word says. That's what it says. You may not like what it says, You may not understand it. You may want to contend it, but that's what it says. So if you don't like that or you want to divert from that, well, then you're not being biblical. Well, but there's a church down the street. Well, what about, yeah, you're going to find tons of churches. You're going to find tons of books. You're going to find lots of confusion. But again, let's be clear. It's not because of biblical reasons. These are non-biblical reasons. And we have plenty of examples of of the church that's that's accepting the ways of the world why well because women can be as equally charismatic dynamic gifted speakers intelligent yes 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 it's not an issue of of just skill set it's an issue of how god has ordained the office And he's perfectly clear. And we'll get into it next week. But very, very quickly, uh, 1 Timothy 2 gives us an insight of the why. Verse 11, let a woman quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but remain quiet. Why? Why? I know plenty of women who are great speakers better than you. I know women who have amazing godly character better than you. I know women who are great leaders better than you, smarter, right? Go down. Yes, yes, yes. So why? Verse 13, for it was Adam who was first created and then Eve in God's order. This is the way God created it as an order. I go back to the idea of, a, you know. you know, you're driving down the road, right? I don't know some of you are old like me and you did the old driver's training and they had two steering wheels. You guys remember that? And two brakes. It's pretty so you're driving down, you know, you're fifteen years old, and you're getting ready and all of a sudden the car goes the other way. What? And the, the, the driver's like he doesn't trust you. He just took control. Okay, and he went the other way. He put the brake on. We don't drive that way. Somebody has to steer. Somebody has to break. And God has said, this is the way I created it, that I created man first. It's not a better than issue. Verse 14, and it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being quite deceived fell into transgression. So the second piece to that is because Eve was deceived, part of the... the Um, the ramification, the consequences of sin was part of this headship. Well, I don't like that. That's not fair. Well, it's not fair that when Adam sinned, all of us have sin in us either, right? Because that's what the scriptures teaches. So because Adam sinned and who was blamed for sin, Adam was blamed for the first sin. So we, we can have that debate and fight all day long. But I'm perfectly willing to be open to to evaluating the the leadership and and the woman's role in teaching if you can change what Eve did. If you can change what Eve did in the garden, then you can change 1 Timothy 2. Because that's the argument for it. The argument for, for why women can teach or not teach is an argument from... 1 Timothy 2.13 and 14, Adam was created first and Eve was deceived. We'll get more into that next week. But generally speaking, um, and again, the clarity here in chapter 3, he, he, him, him, husband, husband, this is a male, a male role. Well, there's positive, positive qualifications for this, this role. First, he must be blameless and above reproach. Blameless is not perfect. Uh, above reproach has, the, has that idea of, well, this is somebody who, when he stands up there, there's not a bunch of people in the crowd who, who are going to be able to throw accusations against him, right? He's above that reproach. Uh, he's above that. Um, the, the blame there, again, is the, the accusations of sin that would be against him. He, he's above those accusations. He's again, the husband of one wife. And some people will argue here that an elder has to be married or has to be a husband. Um, if he's married, then it has to be one wife. It's more of an issue of, of, of the singularity of, of wives, because that was still an issue here that had to be addressed, which was uh, we only marry one person. Uh, we only have one wife. We don't go outside uh, the, the, the marriage bed. And so this is, again, one of those qualifications. In this time, in the Mediterranean, you had a, a lot of uh, false religions uh, that had you know things like temple prostitution, even still polygamy. And so this is a man who only has one wife if he's married at all. Paul remember was not married, and even said hey it 's probably better to not be married if you 're going to be going all over the world and you know preaching the gospel and getting beaten you 're probably better off not being married so you don 't have to be married, but if you 're uh, married, you should be the husband of one wife, just one temperate um, this is the idea of being mild in your in your manner uh, a person who 's Self-controlled. This is a word that we don't, I guess we don't like it anymore. Because in order to be under self-control, you have to control yourself. It goes all the way back to you know the, 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 the great aspect of parenting where you just, you know what, let's unparent and let's just let the kids do whatever they want they can cry, they can scream, they can yell, they can do, don't tell them no, don't ever discipline them, just let them do what they want. Well, if you wanna see what that looks like, just put your YouTube on and look at a protester debate and you ask a person a simple question, who's at a rally, marching for women's rights, you ask them, hey, well, what is a woman? Can you define a woman? And they'll start screaming and yelling and contorting and throwing themselves and you know it's like that's not under self-control that's out of control that's out of control but we don't like self-control we, we we no you know you be you be passionate no that's that that doesn't work you know being out of out of control is is not what we're looking for in leadership we're looking for mild mannered prudent a prudent person, a wise person. We're looking for actual wisdom. It's one of the things I love about hanging out with older people, people with gray hair, no hair? (laughs) no hair disqualified, half hair works, Shane. You're okay. Um, you learn some stuff along the way, don't you? You, you learn some things. Um, you, you become wiser, you think slower, move slower, act slower. It's, it's that old, you know, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to, right? That's a very prudent and wise way to live. In today's day and age, we think that it's impressive to speak fast, to respond quickly. So you'll see this in the interviewing and in the, de- in the debate kind of cycle where somebody asks a question, you think that the... The ultimate um, sign of wisdom is speaking quickly, being first. That's usually the fool. That's usually the person who's unwise, who isn't thinking through it, who isn't prudent. And then what does Proverbs say? The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. So, So you're thinking about the Lord first. What the Bible says, what biblical teaching is first, not my self will, goes back to that. So, so a mild-mannered, prudent, wise person is reflective of God in the scriptures at all times. He's gotta process that. I, I've been listening to uh, some podcasts of uh, Elon Musk. Elon Musk is a fascinating cat. Very interesting dude. Um, he's very methodical, very slow to think. I saying like, this is a smart guy. This is a smart guy who's really thought through a lot of things. You ask him questions and it's, and it's awkward sometimes. You're on your podcast, you're like, is this thing working? Speak, man, speak. He's thinking. He's pro- and it's like, that's a good thing. It's a good thing. That's part of being a prudent man. You want a leader who, who thinks before he speaks. What, what's wrong with, it's a good question. Hold on a second. Let me, let me look that up. Hold on. Can we, can we wait three seconds? To turn to the scripture to see what God has to say, um, that that's using self control and being prudent. We want a sober minded person, sober minded, not intoxicated. It, it's funny because a lot of your kind of your witch doctors or tribal, you know, they actually try to put themselves in a different mental state. You know, you, you you think of kind of the you know the old you know Indian guy who's. You know who's, you know, on peyote or whatever, that's not clear-minded. He's intoxicated. We we want a clear head. I, again, I was listening to some of these podcasts, and uh, the interviewer asked uh, Elon Musk about you know marijuana. He's like, no, I don't like marijuana. I don't I don't like that. And he's like, why? You know, this other guy is very very pro, and he's like, because I like to think clearly. I enjoy thinking. I enjoy processing my thoughts. I like having ambition. I'm a, I, I, I I like to do things. I like to be active. That doesn't help me. So this isn't a guy who is judging it morally at all. He was saying, look, I I want to be sober minded is what he was saying. He was speaking to that effect. Uh, we're looking for a man who's leads by example with good behavior, good behavior. It's actually not that easy to have always have good behavior and be respectable. Um, <clears throat> I'll confess that there's, there's a lot of times where, you know, we've been on the baseball field and, you know, and you're in your shorts and all that and, you know, nah, nobody knows who you are, but maybe somebody does, you know, and you're in the middle of a baseball field and the umpires are crazy. Um, sorry if any of you are umpires or related to umpires and... Um, It's great for those of you who have repented and stopped umpiring. Um, But anyway, umpires are crazy. Fans are crazy. Parents are crazy. Coaches are crazy. It's it's a whole ball of crazy that's going out there with the kids, just so you know. That's not sweet and innocent stuff. But you get out there and you get into this, right? And it gets intense. And then hopefully somewhere you realize, I've got to be respectable. I've got to be on my best behavior. Maybe the other team doesn't know me, but my kids and, and parents do, and I'm held to a higher standard and they're going to look at Christ the way they look at me. I've got to, I've got to be good. I can't yell at guys and parents and coaches. I got to be under my best behavior. I have to lead by example. That's Something that we we want in our leadership, we we want somebody who's hospitable. The idea of hospitality is a very interesting thing because I, I don't think it's something that we give much consideration to. It's a spiritual gift, but hospitality requires a lot of things. You you serve others, you bless others, you share with others. Um, so when we're looking for somebody who's who again is a selfless person, because that's really the, what we're looking for, a humble, selfless person, not only is he, does he yield his will to God, but he's willing to, to yield to other people. And hospitality is a reflection of that. And then also within hospitality, when we share food, when we share time together, when we break bread, that's how we get to know each other. Uh, we were on our way to dear old friends last night uh, that kind of move in and out of the state and we haven't seen them in a while and so it was really nice to you know be go there and watch fireworks but on the way there i found out there was going to be somebody else there it's like oh, <laughs> i don't know who these people are what's you know here comes the big setup you know um, and i wanted you know i wanted to just spend time with you know with my buddy and they were awesome people what an absolute treat and a delight to, to meet new people and on all that because of hospitality and serving others and blessing others. And um, we, we get to really know each other when, when we're hospitable. And so that, that's, we, we don't want shepherds and leaders who are aloof and don't know anybody. Um, no, we, we want to know them. We need a man who's able to teach, able to teach. This is one of the great curses of the postmodern era is, well, everybody can teach because if you can speak, you can teach and, and your opinion is, is okay. And there's no absolute right or wrong anyway. So speak, man, speak. And the younger you are and the more ignorant you are, I guess the better you are. Right? So let's let 16 year olds, you know, rule the world cause they make amazing decisions. Uh, no offense. Um, But they need to be able to teach. Able. Part of that is not just not being bashful or shy because speaking is like the number one fear that people have is public speaking. But able to teach also includes uh, being gentle, being a a gentle spirit, uncontentious. You don't want an unwinsome person. It's one of the things that I've been really uh, working on the last couple years is we're not here to like just, you know, We need to be winsome, we need to be gentle in our communication, we need to be nice uh, when we talk to people. And so part of it is of being able to preach is being gentle in your speech, but it also includes skill. It also includes training. The, the, The skill and the training, again, doesn't come from skill and training in public speaking, it comes from knowing how to handle God's Word. And so we want somebody who's able to teach God's Word. I don't invent sermons over the week. I don't invent topics. I don't invent, uh, let's think of of a cool title, you know, the chair and the table, and turn that into some kind of sermon illustration. The Bible has so many amazing illustrations and examples that it doesn't need me to add another one. I'm still trying to learn all the ones that the Bible uses. So let's use what Jesus uses. Jesus uses fishermen and farmers and athletes. And we have plenty of, of great illustrations. So this person needs to be one who's skilled and trained in God's word, not man's word. There's a lot of smart men out there. CS Lewis is amazing. You know, uh, Spurgeon was amazing. Um, know your scriptures well, and then you can start reading other guys. Another positive qualification is this is one who rules his house well. Um, This is one of those tricky ones. You know, what does that mean? Does that mean once the kids are old enough and out of the house, then my job is done. My hands are clean. Um, No. This is a, a man who, who manages, he's a manager, so his kids aren't per- he's not perfect, his kids aren't perfect either, but he can manage the team. Um, they're under control, right? They're not wild, you don't want the old adage, oh yeah, the pastor's kids, those kids are crazy, right? No, that's, that's not good, but again, they're human, they're sinful. They're sinful, definitely. Um, but he manages it, he's, it's under control and and part of the this is well he's his his priority needs to be his family I, i think a lot of times we look at this and go okay kids go wild you know he's disqualified and it's just kind of a cut and dry thing but even more importantly this man is nothing without his family he's the husband of one wife he's a good parent if he's not a good husband, he's not a good parent, then why should he be in leadership? He, he, he should have his priorities in order to where his ministry in his life, if his family is not under control, then step away from the ministry. So I think it has more to do with him and his responsibility and the order of his responsibility than the disqualification because his kids are, are wild. One of the really cool things is as you, your family grows and expands, it, it turns into an iron sharpening iron thing too. And now I have even more kids. And the new kids can come and go, Uh, you know, you're kind of crazy. Um, or why are you doing this? And that's a good thing. There, there's accountability there in this new household as we continue to grow and expand. But it's not perfection. It's not perfection he needs to have a good testimony outside of his house in the community i mentioned the baseball field you can't be conducting business around town and have a a, a bad name not only for yourself but it's it includes the church people don't don't aren't going to blame the pastor they blame the church they blame god i can't tell you how many people i've encountered with and you go to do business with them and, and they'll say something like, yeah, the churches are the worst one. They never pay their bills. I mean, what a horrible testimony that is. Um, again, it's a reflection of, of Christ. And so we want to make sure that this man is positively doing these things. But there's also negative uh, things. There's things that he shouldn't be doing. I mentioned uh, not being given to wine. Romans 14.21 uh, also mentions, well, so he's not excluded. There's nowhere in the Bible that says a pastor, an elder cannot drink wine. Okay. Or alcohol. But, 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 but he cannot be addicted. Uh, that's This cannot be, you know, something that's, that's out of control. And Romans 14 also speaks to another level, which is, and he can't cause others to stumble. Well, that in and of itself, from the, the headship standpoint, may, may and should be telling you, you, better be very, very careful what you put in your mouth, whether it be meat. Um, in fact, let me go to Romans 14, 21. Because the big issue of the day was meat sacrifice to idols. I mean, that was a, a, a really big deal. Uh, but the other issue was, again, like always, alcohol. And Romans 14, 21 is good. Not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything which causes your brother to stumble. Especially with the leader. Should be the same qualification for us too. We should never do anything to cause somebody else to stumble. Doesn't matter if it's meat or drink or what does this say? Anything. Anything that would cause somebody else to stumble, you should consider giving up. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God, happy as he does not condemn himself in what he approves. Um, there are things that we, we are going to look at and say, you know what? I think I can handle a glass of wine, you know, a beer at the end of the day. I'm not getting drunk. It's under control. You know, I can handle this as my own conviction. But as a leader, this is a man who, again, can't be addicted and then... Can't put his mind in a place where he's intoxicated and can't put himself where he becomes violent or pugnacious, right? Because somehow that's always tied in, isn't it? Uh, People get drunk and out of control and they get angry. The idea of pugnacious is a striker, a fighter. Um, This man is also not to be greedy for money. Um, We see this all the time. The focus and attention of the leader is not to build an empire. It's not to, to, to increase wealth. That's not the point of ministry. One of the truisms of life is you generally are what you are because that's what you do. So it's like people who make money, that's what they do. So, so don't begrudge them. Don't be envious of them. That's actually what they put their skill, talent, and mindset towards. And so they get good at it. Well, this man is a man who's supposed to get good at understanding the word and pouring his life into shepherding the church, not towards building an empire. It would be very, very difficult to build that empire on the right hand and on the left hand you're also as thoughtful and considerate as shepherding. Now, with that being said, there's some weird things that happen in the world now where you, know, you, you could write a book and you know, 20 million people buy it so you know that would make you a millionaire Um, so we're not judging some of these guys but some of them you look at them and the corporate jets and the houses and you have to ask yourself have they crossed the line of greed for money Um, this man's not to be quarrelsome I'm not here to argue and fight people into the kingdom of heaven Um, not to be Covetous. I mean, you know, not to be, you know, discontent with what God has given you. That goes all the way back to just kind of the basic Ten Commandments: Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's anything. We we like to say thy neighbor's wife, but really, it's it also includes anything. Um, so keep that in mind. He's not to be a new believer. Why not a new believer? New believers are excited and passionate. and Well, because there's still time to grow. There's still time to be, become mature and wise. Let it cook. Just, just let it cook a little bit, right? Um, let, let, let the root seep in. And, and, and why don't we have a new believer? Well, lest they become puffed up in pride and then fall into the condemnation of the devil. The devil loves New believers, new passions, new excitements. He'll he'll take that ball and run with it, right? And build pride off of that, um, which is something that we have to guard against. We're warned against that constantly. Well, these are the qualifications of um, of an elder, and I didn't get very far here, but we'll we'll look at at deacons next week, and again. These are qualifications or a job description. These are not suggestions. These are not suggestions. The disqualification of an elder of an overseer is any of these that are, that are not conducted faithfully, then disqualifies the person from leadership. These are issues of character of integrity. Um, They're habitual. They're not sporadic. Um, and yeah the trust can be easily lost. Yes, it can be easily lost. I'm uh, familiar with uh, some people who have uh, fallen from grace recently and you know what? You commit that sin, you 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 cross that line, you are now disqualified from being an overseer in the church. Flat out. But, but, but what about but but what if he changes and what if he's still a really good guy hey he can be in the kingdom of heaven he can repent from his sin he can be restored but he can't be in leadership he's broken to sacred trust and this is why we don't choose charisma or talent or storytelling or charm we choose proven character and we need to surround overseers with other people who are keeping the overseer accountable. You have to know this guy, right? There's a lot of stuff here. Do you know him well enough to keep him accountable to even know that this is going on? Um, so that's important too. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk more about that next time. Uh, I went a little over, so we'll, we'll do communion. I apologize. Um, but I didn't want to rush through but we'll do communion next week. Let's pray.